This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello. Hola. Privet. Guten Tag. Welcome to the Normal Not Normal podcast with me, Oliver Phelps. And me, James Phelps. And in this series, we are talking to some of our favourite people, finding out what normal means to them and really, does normal even exist? That's right. And I'm very excited today because this is uh, episode two of the new season. Thank you so much for the great response for last week. It was a great little episode and I really enjoyed that we're now going to do every other week. We're going to get stories from you guys in as well and just have a random chit chat. Listen to your stories, your did you knows, everything like that. So thank you so much for sending them in and send them in for next week. Quick recap on the email address is normalnotnormalpodcast at gmail.com. Send them in and we'll make sure to get you on the show. Exactly, exactly that. Now, today's guest is the award-winning children's author Jacqueline Wilson. Her books have helped shape the childhood of millions and millions of people all over the world, including my own. I remember reading Tracy Beaker, which then went on to be a hit TV series. Double Act, which was a huge book, obviously, because it's about twins, which means a lot to us. The Suitcase Kid, which I still remember to this day. Many, many others that she's written. She's written more than 100 books. One of the most influential authors of, I'd say, the 20th century, got to be said. So we're so thankful to have her on the show. And Jacqueline's books are known for tackling big Issues like divorce, adoption, drug and alcohol abuse, poverty, and many more topics like that. But she manages to create a safe space to explore these issues, especially if you think, at the end of the day, they are children's books. Very much so. It was it. I when reading it as a kid, they were kind of like the the in between books, weren't they? They were kind of like the, I guess the the Potters of the day. Um, obviously not about magic, but the way they're written and that kind of stuff. So if you've never read a Jack and Wilson book, I definitely recommend picking one of them up and just giving it a go because they are so easy. In fact, she's rewritten The Railway Children recently, so give that a look in as well. But she'll tell us more about that. So without any further ado, here is Jacqueline Wilson. Jacqueline, I've got to be honest with you, like, I suppose not just James myself, but many of us grew up with obviously Tracy Beaker and lots of other books that you've done. And I suppose also watching the BBC TV series adaptation of Tracy Beaker, which, funny enough, one of our best mates, Luke Youngblood, played Ben in the original series. Really? Oh, great. Yeah, so he was he was doing that while we were doing the second Potter, I think it was. Um, but I saw recently as well how it was re-released on iPlayer. And has broken all sorts of streaming records yeah. because obviously it's loved by parents now and obviously they're introducing it to their their kids which is wonderful for me yeah i bet yeah and also i've i wrote two books about tracy grown up with a daughter of her own and so they're 
doing a, a sort of My Mum Tracy Beaker lovely series um, with the very grown up Danny and um, Montana who played Justine Littlewood and uh, several other brilliant actresses. And it's very rare that you get a television programme that can actually have little flashbacks of footage 25 years ago when the main characters were little kids and I, I just think it's it's great fun to watch yeah you're right I mean this in terms of like both obviously the newest series but also as well the original did you have any say in the casting or how the story progression went at all I never have anything to do with the casting would that I did in all the various adaptations I've had of my books I've always begged to be in the corner when somebody is is organizing casting because I'd love to see how it goes I'd love to see how all the children perform I've promised I would even sort of pretend to be somebody else but no they won't let me I don't know whether I put everybody off or, or what um, so I, I didn't know at all who was going to be in the cast but I got to invited when they were filming the first series and there were a whole lot of kids running around when I got there not only the main cast but a whole load of extras and um, so it's a sea of children and the director said okay pick out the one that's your Tracy and I didn't know if they were going to stick to the way Tracy looks in the books or what so I, I didn't have a clue but I just looked round and there was this young girl with attitude, with her hands on her hips. And I thought, oh, that has to be Tracy. And it was. <laughs> and, you know, I was just taken aback by, by Danny's just absolute nailing that part completely. It's so interesting that she's turned out to be, you know, a, a really brilliant actress who, you know, has taken... The grown-up Tracy um, and actually run with it. I, I feel a little sorry for Danny because it must be very, very difficult if she's going for other parts of things. People say, oh, yes, Tracy Beaker, and putting her in a certain slot. I mean, it, it must happen to so many actors if they're really distinct in a part. But I must admit, I'm very glad for me. <laughs> this is great. <laughs> You, you mentioned there the your my mum Tracy Beaker, which you wrote in 2018, and then obviously has gone on to be a great show as well. What was it like making an older version of the character? Because I can't imagine there's many authors get the opportunity to go back to an original character and then thinking where they are, what are they doing now. Like how how was that? Was it quite moving for you in a way? I I love doing it, and I wanted Tracy, most importantly, to become a good mum. Because so many people think that if you've been brought up in care, you haven't been adequately parented yourself, that is going to be a repeating pattern. And that's absolutely not the case. I've known many people who've grown up in care. And often it makes you even more determined to be a good parent yourself. And so I knew that Tracy would still have a few anger issues, say, but um Never would she, you know, shout and scream at her own daughter. I was tempted in some ways to make Tracy a huge professional success, but mm. I didn't think it would be necessarily realistic. I have had a lot of conversation, particularly with some a, 
a leaving care group um, in Scotland who actually introduced me to a visiting American care leaver who is now training to um, go up in space. And I can see that people can do amazing things. But I thought, particularly one like Tracy, who doesn't buckle down at school and left school early, it would be a bit unlikely. So I wanted her to be um, a fantastic parent first. And then as the story progresses, Tracy um, comes into her own and um, and she's a very bright girl and she's becoming an, an expert now in the whole antiques business and, um, and having fun too. So I thought this is a, a, a happy compromise. Yeah, as, as you say, I suppose it's, it's keeping that level of realism to it. And also people want to see... Yeah, some of their own environments to say reflected in the story. So, I mean, like you've never really run away or shied away from exploring like tougher parts in your books, like a character whose parents have passed away, or as you say, like even like adoption, addiction issues, yes. mental health problems, all that type of things. There's, there's almost a case where children and young adults' books should be a safe space. But I'm sure many of our, our listeners have found a lot of comfort in your in your writing where it doesn't shy away from that. It may be like the first to like someone in a very sheltered upbringing, shall we say, it may be the first time they'll they'll be aware of it. And yet other people will read it and think, oh, that, that stuff mm. happens as well. I think that's a very good point to make because we're also different and from, had such different upbringings. I try and always make it from the child's point of view and in the first person. So I keep out any really upsetting details. If if mm. you're a child who's gone through something terrible, you might get a hint or two, ah, oh, yes. But if you're not, it doesn't occur at all. And I try and have a lot of humour in my books. I mean, to start with, I think having a sense of humour, even a very black sense of humour, helps you get through really difficult times anyway. But I don't think there's anything really to upset anybody. Mm. As far as I can remember, truthfully, I've never had a character actually take drugs. They might be aware of drugs, but they don't take drugs. There's no sort of explicit sexual scene. Yeah. Nothing that would make even the, the most old-fashioned parent blanche, as far as I'm aware. I mean, in all the many years I've been writing, I think I've had one letter complaining that somebody a, a, from a child saying she didn't like it and it made her unhappy, which, whichever book it was. And I've had about a handful of parents complaining about this or that. But for the vast majority, you know, I've just had nothing but, you know, thank you so much for writing about this subject or that subject. Yeah, definitely. I, especially when I was a child reading your work, it definitely, I related to it a lot. I trusted it a lot. I trusted the story a lot more because it's believable. Oh, that's good. And obviously, like we said, we've read quite a few of your books. Trace Big, obviously. Double Act, obviously, being twins, really like that one. Now, did I get it right about <laughs> twins? I think for the for the most part, yeah. Good. Definitely. There's, there's the license to do naughty things and try and get away with it. Which never stops. <laughs> I mean, I think that's every singleton's dream to be able to do that i think so not not to the degree that those guys get up to we never got up to that much trouble but we definitely had had times where we where we like to have fun but i always remember my the one book which i i, I still think about quite often actually is the suitcase kid and i remember when when we read we first read that in primary school you know and the whole class has to read a yeah. little bit and 
um, go from there. And first of all, I used to hate reading out loud. Oh, it's so nerve-wracking, isn't it? I know, it's like a torturous thing to do. But I remember we, when reading that in school, it was the first book I took home to read. I wanted to finish the story before everybody else because I enjoyed it so much. And although I couldn't really relate to Andy, the main character, in regards to like my parents weren't divorced or getting divorced or anything like that. But it definitely helped me understand friends whose parents had got divorced or something because it's not so as a kid it's hard to understand what's going going on with other people do you think that when you write a story are you doing it just to tell a story or is is there always some way of you want to help people understand the situation or let people know that they're not the first person to go through and you are okay if that happens I got the idea of the suitcase kid because I was talking to a mum outside the school while we were waiting to pick up our daughters and um, and I knew that she and her husband were splitting up and I, I said, how's it going? And she was saying, oh, it's awful. She said, but the wonderful thing is so-and-so, her daughter said, hasn't got a clue, happy as Larry. And I actually knew that she'd been telling my daughter all sorts of sad things and how worried she was mm. and she couldn't sleep at night. And I... I think I wanted to to show children that they they might be pretending rather valiantly to mum or dad that you know things are fine, but actually it is upsetting. And more than anything else, I didn't want the the story to end with mum and dad getting back together again, yeah. because generally when there's been a big breakup you don't get back together again. And certainly not because some child has done some valiant thing to get you together. I wanted to show that, yes, it hurts. And, you know, you're, you're always going to wish your parents were together, but you can get through it and, um, and you know, find that you've, you can manage with two families if that's the way it pans out. You can find other adults to relate to you can make new friends and that you know it it isn't I mean the awful thing is children don't have any perspective if they're really hurting now they have no idea that in a year's time they might feel a lot lot better which you know I think is is a good message yeah definitely and as as a book it's something I always remember bits of and think of I, I always remember the line where she says parents row but this was more than normal yes. rowing I can remember thinking wow, all parents have a little row every so often. I didn't know that. I just assumed that it was just my mum and dad behind the behind the door. Just to be clear, everybody, they don't row all the time. Like They're, they're still together. But it's, um, Especially now we've left home, yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, but it, it, just just little things like that. And it's I think that's what's great about a, a, a lot of your writing is that it's, it's kind of that, trust me, we know what you're going through and this is, this is normal. Yeah, I find it really interesting, though, that now... Um, I get a lot of emails from from people kind of your age and um but it's as if I'm some kind of agony aunt and they tell me about some <laughs> problem in their lives and I feel tremendously flattered but you see in in fiction you can, you can have a problem and then you can be Mrs Magic and solve it for your characters but yeah, in yeah. real life you know, I haven't got a clue what to advise <laughs> exactly. anybody. <laughs> my own life has been a bit sort of up and down anyway. So um, it, it's, it's just, well, it's a compliment, I think. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. 
For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Going back, um, Bill, I know we touched on it earlier, but obviously with Tracy Beaker and how obviously revisiting the character and revisiting the story on the on the TV as well may have been a chance to to set some things right. Because I know there was a story that a couple of members in the cast were annoyed when Cam got married to a man <laughs> when the character was gay. Uh, but then in the most recent series, my mum Tracy Beaker always put right when she's married to a woman. So obviously, not only is that a massive roller coaster to be going on, but what was that like for you being being probably seen inadvertently in the middle of. I, I found it really quite interesting. Um, I I had always imagined Cam being gay, um, but bearing in mind that the very first, the story of Tracy Beaker came out, I think, 30 years ago, maybe even 31 mm. years ago. The television series came out about five years later. Um, generally yeah. speaking, you didn't really talk about gay couples in books then whereas I think yeah. a whole generation on we're much more cool about um, same-sex partnerships and so um, I I kind of hinted here and there um, but didn't do anything about it and then I think it was interesting with the television adaptation at that time suddenly to have Cam being married but the, to to a man but then um, there was a discussion afterwards and they thought, mm, no, I don't really think this is working and maybe they didn't have the right storylines or whatever. And so there was apparently a little discussion about, well, what are we going to do then? And they dealt with it and just for the, the next series and it was just so snappy and that somebody said to Cam, what about so-and-so, whatever he's called, and he's just, yeah, history. <laughs> and that was it. Yeah, no long-winded perfect, explanation. Perfect and, and I thought, yeah, yeah. That's, that's the way to deal with things. Definitely, yeah, yeah, definitely. But, I mean, as, as you said, though, like, even, what, 25, 30 years ago, yeah, that wasn't a big, it was, it was still a taboo subject, wasn't it, that, you know, two people of the same sex would be in a relationship together? I mean... In the soaps, I, I think they'd started dealing with with sort of gay attractions, stuff mm. like that. But it was always a kind of, you know, this is what it's all about, rather than, yeah, yeah this is just a fact of life, so-and-so lives with so-and-so or whatever. And I think I have to keep reminding myself, because as you get older and things unsettle you and you don't know how to use, say, modern technology or whatever, um, you you kind of think back to the good old days. But actually, they weren't really that great, particularly. I think <laughs> young people now are much more open-minded, much more relaxed about an awful lot of things. So um, mm. I think that, you know, is is a great, great leap forward. Yeah. Yeah, just sticking with that slightly. When when you wrote Love Frankie, which was a book that included a gay relationship, yeah. and then it made people look at your own relationship with your partner Trish, who you've been with for eighteen years. I knew that would would be inevitable. What was like? Was that strange for you for people like making it a big story? Well, I I was quite surprised, but also knew that papers, particularly the the more 
more ones that just want your personal story or whatever would probably yeah. ask all sorts of questions and so um uh, it was decided right pick your journalist and the newspaper that you want to give a proper interview a long lengthy interview with and then you know if you don't want to talk to anybody else afterwards you can just say look i've dealt with this issue it's not history and um it's it was just lovely I, as far as i'm aware i mean i'm not personally on twitter i mean there's fans of jacqueline wilson on twitter but i'm not so I have no idea if people protected me from people saying shock horror. How how can you say this or not? <laughs> Who knows? Um, but certainly it was very easy for me. And also, I kind of almost have joined joined a trend without realizing it because you know I was married to a guy for about thirty years. Got married at nineteen. How mad is that? Oh. And um, I was always very open to any kind of partnership but uh you know didn't really think you know i wasn't sort of repressed or anything um mm. but just then that marriage broke up and then i was on my own for about six years and you know that that was okay a bit lonely at times but mostly okay and then i don't know this is quite embarrassing then i met trish and i thought oh she's wonderful <laughs> and i mean you, i didn't expect this to happen to me but um it did and now we've been together nearly 20 years so i like to tell any middle-aged woman who's really particularly if her marriage has just broke up and and you might think oh god what 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 am i going to do now and say you just never know what's going to happen because i remember i remember my 50th birthday and i was thinking well Everything's just going to go downhill from now. No, nothing more exciting is going to happen to me. And amazing things happen. And I'm, I'm a sort of respectable old lady. I'm not really going to shock anybody, I don't think. So I know that a lot of people who listen to our show, they're very creative. And there's quite a few people who uh, write or want to become writers. Do you have like a set process on how you go from thinking of an idea to then putting it on page and do you have a set way of doing things i like to have not only the book that i'm currently writing but i like to have the one that's coming after it just some germ of an idea so that as i'm finishing one book and particularly as i while i'm rewriting it then i can develop the the next idea in my head i am a kind of a compulsive writer in that the moment I've finished a book the very next day I like to start a new one and just carry on like that um, because I miss it so I mean I, I just feel that it's my other life and I would feel I was only living half a life if I wasn't writing all the time I mean all those hours wasted standing in supermarket queues or waiting over the phone and you just hear that awful music played again and again and again and you are 45th yeah. in the queue or <laughs> yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah. Give, Your cool's very important, important to us. <laughs> it gives you something to think about. I mean, it's always difficult, but I rehearse in my head the first paragraph always because that is that big, you're kind of committed to it. And I know you can just, just sort of press on the computer and it all blots out again. But for me, 
I, I like to start with something that's that will hook them so they want to carry on and know what happens next. So, I mean, I can imagine that obviously living a lot of your life in the shoes of a child and create characters and stories like that. But what was your normal growing up? I've, I remember reading somewhere that you started writing at 17, was it? Yeah, I started earning my living at 17 as a writer um, because I that's always what I wanted to be from when I was about six years old. And I was forever writing in little notebooks at home. And I was an only child too, which although I had friends at school, I never was allowed to have friends back in in the in the flat. And so I I played sort of imaginary games a lot of the time. And basically that was wonderful training for being a writer. I don't come from a posh background at all. Brought up on a council estate and everybody just left school at sixteen when they'd just done their equivalent of GCSEs. And um, and my mum didn't want me to work in a factory or whatever, and so suggested I do a secretarial training course at the local tech. I didn't want to be a secretary, but um, all I wanted to do was be a writer. And um, and so she said triumphantly, well, there you, you need to type if you're going to be a writer. So I went and did the secretarial course, wasn't very good at it, but then when looking for a job, I did see this advert, wanted teenage writers and couldn't believe it, wrote up for it. And it was the Scottish firm DC Thompson's who were the next year bringing out um, a full colour teenage magazine, eventually called Jackie. And so I wrote them a story. And to my utter astonishment, they liked it. And even more surprisingly, I hadn't even thought about this, they paid me. I mean, it was only about three pounds, but (laughs) still it was extraordinary to me. And so I kept writing them stories. And then they offered me a job, which was up in Dundee. And I was still only 17 at that time. And so it was a bit scary deciding to go and live. I'd never even been to Scotland at that stage. Even then, I had the sense to know you only get opportunities like this occasionally. Why not go for it? And so I did. And um, it was fantastic training. I worked as a junior journalist on various different women's magazines, then (laughs) got married at 19, but wrote freelance. And basically, I have been earning my own keep ever since 17, which... Um, you know, I had to compromise sometimes and do an awful lot of magazine stuff that I didn't really want to do when I wanted to write novels. But um, one way or another, I, I kept on. I wasn't an overnight success when even my books started to get published. Eventually, it was the story of Tracy Beaker that was my kind of breakthrough book. And after that, you know, things became things became much nicer. <laughs> So in your latest book, The Primrose Railway Children, yeah. which is out now, you've rewritten a classic story from the point of view of the youngest child. That's right. And, and you say that you kept in some of the grittiness instead of ending it in kind of a Enid Blyton, we all made it home for tea kind of way. What's it, what's it like to rewrite someone else's work? Well, I don't... I, I won't say it's rewriting, it's reimagining it. And it was um, Edith Nesbitt's The Railway Children, which I adored. And um, it's a fantastic book. And I hope my 
book will make some kids who, who read my my book actually go back to the original. Reading it as an adult, um, you know, a dad is sent erroneously to prison, but because he's an English gentleman, of course, he couldn't possibly have done anything bad. And so it's all sorted out at the end. And the children go in so-called poverty to, to live with mother in the countryside where nobody knows them. But they still managed to have a reasonable lifestyle. And it, it tickled me that the mother in that book is so brave, so courageous. Even when they get to this um, cottage at night time and they hear rustling and it's rats well anybody normal will go oh my god it's rats but it was oh this is an adventure children etc and and so she irritated me a little bit as an adult not not as as a child I just absorbed it all and the story is told from the eldest girl's point of view for the most part who is definitely mother's favorite even though mother says she isn't and then there's the boy Peter and then particularly in old-fashioned children's books you know the boy was always considered special and then the youngest daughter in the original railway children book Phyllis all Ines Bitt writes about her is she meant extremely well which I always thought was <laughs> <laughs> sounds like my school report <laughs> yeah, exactly exactly so my book is written from the point of view of the youngest child who um you know can she has to stick up for herself because she doesn't feel that she's the favourite at all. And the person she loves more than anything is dad. And dad disappears. And they're not particularly... Mother isn't open with the children about what's happened to dad. It's a darker version of the original Edwardian book. But they go to live near a vintage railway. And um, because you can't have modern children playing... Um, by yeah. a modern railway, <laughs> it would be terrifying, no. and they wouldn't be allowed. <laughs> the West Coast Main Line would be a bit different, <laughs> exactly. <wouldn't it? laughs> Jackie, in terms of like, our, so our podcast is called obviously Normal, Not Normal. Um, so a couple of questions that we always ask is, what does normal mean to you? I've never really felt I totally fitted in with what is normal. I mean, I'm a normal human being. I, I worry about things. I catastrophize if my daughter doesn't text at the usual time. I think, oh, my God, what's happened to her? I do normal things like walk my dog, brush my cat. But but I, I don't. I mean, I was married to a policeman, and I certainly wasn't a typical policeman's wife, I don't think. I... I've, I've never really been the sort of typical this or that. And it used to worry me sometimes. But now I feel actually I quite like being slightly not normal. So I I've normally end with a... I've got something called the 3am questions, where it's basically okay. just a quick fire thing. But, but mainly the, the right idea comes... The right answer comes into your head at 3am when you can't sleep. Um, <laughs> but it's so... Um, it's basically just what what are your favourite things so what is your favourite book my favourite book is The Bell Jar by Sylvia Plath and definitely I would say that's a not normal book because it's about um, most people say it's about the breakdown of a college girl um, and uh, and she becomes so bothered with her mental health issues uh, she makes a very serious suicide attempt and then the rest of the book is about her recovering um, I've recommended it to 
two different book groups and they've all they've admired the writing it's wonderful wonderful beautiful writing but said oh it's so depressing and oh who wants to read about people you know utterly sort of behaving so weirdly and everything and you see for me I thought it I didn't think she had <laughs> unusually <laughs> weird behaviour or anything. So I love The Bell Jar. I think it's the most fun, fabulous book. Uh, Sylvia Plath herself, um, I would say mostly was not a happy girl. <laughs> but um, And very sadly, she did eventually commit suicide. But uh, she was a wonderful poet. And um, I think she will always have great followers. What is your favourite food? Well, last night I was at a nice arty cinema with friends and we, we had a supper and I had salad, which was delicious. And it was with sort of watermelon and pomegranates and a little bit of feta cheese. And I love that sort of food. But with it, I had a plate of chunky chips. <laughs> I like that sort of food too. <laughs> so it's a kind of mixture. The yin and yang of that. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> um, what is your favourite film? I think it has to be Thelma and Louise. Um, I just recently rewatched it. I've seen it about five times, um, and it's not. I don't hate men at all. I, literally, my best friends are men, um, and but. I just love the relationship between Thelma and Louise and I think they've got reasons for sort of hitting the road. Um, well, certainly they have. <laughs> and um, I don't condone the violence in it, but it's a cracking film and with the most amazing ending and two actresses who were just fantastic. So I don't think it can be bettered. No, it's certainly one of the most iconic endings, I think. Oh. Even if you haven't necessarily seen the film, yeah, it's you'll just know, great. You'll know, you know that 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 scene. What is your favourite song? There used to be um, a, a American woman singer called Dory Previn. Her lyrics are extraordinary, and I think her most famous songs is "Mythical Kings and Iguanas," which strange title. It's got <laughs> a lot of meaning when you listen to it, and I have her. CDs in the car. I, I still can't stream <laughs> whatever you mm. you do, particularly not in our car. Um, but uh, you know, she often sings us along the road. Very good. And finally, what is your favourite quote? And that can be from a book, from a film, from a any anything. Well, it's from an adaptation of my historical book, Hetty Feather. I didn't actually write it, so it's not part of my book, so I'm not being ridiculously showing showing <laughs> off. But um, my Hetty meets up with this woman she always hoped would be was her mother, and she's not. But but so this Madame Adeline comforts her and gives her some cake, and she says, everything's better with cake. And it's my motto too. If I'm really fed up or bored or sad, I forget healthy eating and eat a slice of cake. And you do yeah. cheer up, <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Words to live by with that yeah. one. Definitely, 100%. Well, Jacqueline, thank you so much for joining us this week. I've really, really enjoyed it. And thank you very much for all your time. Oh, it's been great talking to you. Thrilled to be on your podcast. Fantastic. Thanks again. I really, really enjoyed listening to that back. Definitely. She's one of those people that you could speak to for hours and she was so given with her time. A very, very 
just lovely ladies you know when you meet someone that you've heard of all your life and they're just as nice as as you hope them to be it was so thankful i'm so thankful for having her on it was so enjoyable it was yeah really inspirational chat so hopefully there's people listening now who are thinking you know what i could i'd I'd quite like to do a bit of writing i'm i've got a similar process uh to jacqueline's writing process you know how she's literally you know starts a new book when she's literally just finishing the last one and there's just stuff always going on and on and on but also as well on the side of things talking about how she established a new life and a love life later in life you know just just shows that you know just being comfortable who you are and doing what's good for you you know it's truly truly inspiring stuff definitely it's it's one of those things where i think it's it it proves if you ever feel like you're not in the right place then you can change it and and it was interesting as well how it was it was made such a big thing in in the press at the time and like she was saying like it didn't everyone everyone that needed to know already knew so it was, do you know what I mean? It, was, it's, it doesn't matter what the rest of the world think. Mm. Before we leave, I've got a couple of did you know facts. So I was inspired by, obviously, The Railway Children. That's one of my favourite books as a kid. So I'm, like I said, I'm really excited to read Jackin's version of it. But I thought I could do a couple of did you know facts about trains. That's right. Grab your bobble hat, stand at the end of a platform and train spot with me. So <laughs> Sounds like a terrible song. <laughs> this is interesting, okay? Did you know the word train comes from a French verb which means to draw or drag. Right. There you go. Monorails feature a single rail and are elevated from the ground. That's what makes it a monorail. As in The Simpsons, mono means one. And rail rail means means rail. Yes, yes, yes. Trains are in films a lot and all that kind of stuff. So there's a fight scene in the Bond movie Skyfall which was actually filmed on an actual moving train. Very dangerous, but it looked very cool. That was my did you know facts. Very good. And let's get this back on track. Do you like that one? It's very good. Yes. Jacqueline, thank you so much for joining us this week. We had such an amazing time and I really do hope that everybody listening was inspired by her story. And also, obviously, send in your story times, your questions, your did you knows. Keep sending them in. Normal, not normal podcast at gmail.com and next week we'll get them on. Guys, thank you so much for joining us this week. I'm James Phelps. I'm Oliver Phelps. And just one more time, as James has just said, in Train Talk, the Normal Not Normal podcast locomotive will be pulling gently into your story time station next week. That is awful, isn't it? Normal Not Normal is a stable production. <laughs>